Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. Welcome in Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza. Still early. Spring football at West Virginia. Still early. Basketball offseason for the Mountaineers. Here to cover a lot of one, a little of the other. The Florida Atlantic. My San Diego State, Chris Anderson. Chris, how's your bracket? Uh, you know, it's funny you ask that because not an hour ago, I went to go check our Ear Sports um, March Madness Challenge. I think I was like a hundred and second out of uh, out of our out of our, all our brackets. Not great, not great at all. Um, and I think there's only like two or three brackets that still have somebody alive. And amazingly, wow. All those guys have UConn winning it all. I had UConn in the Elite Eight. Uh, I had Texas in the Elite Eight. I, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, I'm trying to think here. I had to go back on UCLA. I had in the Elite Eight. I'm thinking off the top of my head right now. I pretty much gave up after the first weekend. I did really good in the first day. Second day, not as good. And then the, like, the third and fourth day were a bit more chaotic. And then I was like, I'm just going to watch the Sweet 16. <laughs> no rooting interest. No DraftKings. Excuse me. No uh, Caesar Sportsbook. Just had... um. My eyes on the TV, pretty good stuff. Uh, do you like or hate the fact that this is a wide-open, parody-driven Final Four that we've never seen before? Because that's going to be the the A-block segment on all the TV and radio programs now. It is, and I tried to think about you know the last time this happened. And I guess, it, I guess it was the last time UConn won, right? And they were a seven seed, maybe? It's like, and... and but the, that one felt different because th- I think that was the same year they won the Big East tournament, like went on a run at the end of the year, won the Big East tournament. They had, let's not say, let's not get over overhyped here, like generational player, but Kemba Walker was an elite college player and has been an NBA veteran for several years now. So like it, it felt okay. Like even though they were a seven seed, like it felt like they earned it. They deserved it, and it didn't seem that crazy. And now I'm looking at, like, these final four teams, and I do have this sense of, like, really? One of these guys is going to be the champion. These four, out of all this season, this this is what we're going to pick from. And I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to reconcile those feelings, but I have said all along, I, I would much rather you play to win it than vote to win it. So... Whoever wins it, I mean, whoever wins it earned it. Like they they did what they were supposed to do. It wasn't some weird vote or anything like that. So it's going to be strange. I don't. I mean, I don't. I can't imagine anything's going to change. Um, but you are you okay with this? I don't know if it's a new normal, but I think when you look at the constitution of the rosters, like there's some there's some older teams there. Like that San Diego State team is old. They they were they were like national championship worthy in the COVID year. I think they were like what thirty one and two or something like that. Um, Florida Atlantic has been there for a while with this coach. And I wonder if you're going to see these veteran teams that are built from the portal that aren't necessarily blue blood, blue chip talent, if they're going to make runs. And I'm not saying it's going to populate the final four like this every year, but I wonder if you're going to see a San Diego state or an FAU, a team that from a mid major or a major conference that took a while to get together, or maybe played really well under the radar. And if they're there, like I was looking, there's no top 30 recruits on a roster. 
um, but there's top turns for portal players. And it, it strikes me as weird that if you look back at like the history of the tournament and all that stuff and who wins, like the one team, like, Oh my gosh, I forgot they won a tournament like NC state that Lorenzo Charles here. That's the one that if you have not been a fan of recent vintage basketball, even for as long as you and I have been alive, Chris, that doesn't make a ton of sense. That was before the tournament expanded. That was 80, 83. That was two years before we went to 64 teams. So it's a little easier back then. And since then, you're looking at major names. And now you're going to have, I mean, UConn's be their fifth title, I believe. So that wouldn't be surprising. But like a San Diego State and FAU and Miami, those are all recently resurrected or like just suddenly hot programs. And to some extent, UConn, you look at what they've been through after their national title. Same is true for them. So. I think it's kind of cool. I don't know if people got tired of watching high-level recruits and blue chippers play for the title or if they got tired of like the same teams there every year. But what is most vindicating for me, Chris, I really, really, really hope, really hope that these Nimrods who think that going to 96 teams is a good idea, they say, wait a minute, 64 is fine again. 68 is fine again because look who's in there now. They still made it through. This wasn't exclusive to you know, sneaker names, you know, the big brands that are powered by the most influential players or boosters or whatever. You can get an FAU and you can get a San Diego State and you can get mid-majors into the Elite Eight, into the Sweet 16, into the fun times on television. You don't have to expand the field to do it. It is possible. So I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that this has been good for just quieting that movement to go to 96 teams. I don't know if we're about to, on the fly, switch this to a basketball podcast, but I do have to ask you something else about this tournament. Yeah. I feel like you and I might be experts on this, having you know covered West Virginia University basketball for a decade for me, two decades for you. Is this the most like you've ever seen teams in an NCAA tournament just go like ten minutes without scoring, Ooh. blowing like ten? I mean, like again, most recent example, of course, is the. Um, the Texas against Miami. I think Texas was up 10. The game, and then they just don't score. Kansas State the other night, they went, what was it, like eight minutes without scoring a, a field goal? And, and we're used to seeing that um, with WVU and, and some of their, their both offense and defense, how they keep teams from also scoring for long stretches. But I just can't remember this many times in the tournament because it's been happening the entire tournament that teams have just been like, well, we're not scoring for the next six minutes. And all of a sudden that eight, 10, 12 point lead is just gone. Yeah. And look at what FAU did too. They've, I mean, I guess this is kind of fitting, but they've kind of ridden the wave in both their last two games where they were down and all of a sudden huge runs like, like 15 Oh, I think. And then, and you know, 22 to seven or something like that, where the other team went cold and they went hot, which is kind of what they do. They're a streaky team. But the other side of that is why are teams not scoring? I don't know. That's a good question, but I've noticed that a lot. And it's some of us been overmatched, overshadowed by the other team just getting really hot. So some team may not score for a while, but that's compounded by the fact the other team is is hot. I think sometimes the moment for some of these teams that maybe are new or maybe have players who maybe they're older, but it's their first time into an Elite Eight or on the cusp of the Final Four. I mean, let's just say like Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel. My man, Ish Masood. I don't know. Maybe sometimes the moment in the garden gets to you a little bit and you're like, I'm so close. I can't believe it. Um, you know, Texas kind of a mix of older young players, but people who came from the outside and they've been through a lot this year, you figured they wouldn't flinch. But if you have people who are so new to this, and I mean, again, not new to college basketball, but like these bright lights and the high stakes, they think about it, dream about it forever. But when you're there and you're like, man, I'm two TV timeouts away from the final four. Holy cow. That, that rim starts to move a little bit or it gets smaller. That may be harder. Whereas I think if you're like an elite, elite player, and you're surrounded by elite teams, uh, elite teammates, it might be easy for you to get a high screen and just bounce it to the basket and rise over somebody because you're just taller, quicker, stronger, faster. I just don't think we see a lot of those players right now, too. There's good players, but I wonder how many lottery picks are coming from this um, this Final Four group. I'd have to look at that one there, too. But it that does, yeah, to answer your question, I can't remember it. Is that just because that's been the theme of the, the past couple of days or, or weeks? Maybe. But it, it certainly is obvious that that's happening. Like, teams are just hitting rough spots, and it seems like more recently than early in the tournament. Try to figure out if I want to start with basketball now, Chris. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, do we just want to keep riding with the with the basketball talk? Let's do our Kerr Creases stuff at the end. How about that? Okay. All right. The real reason people are here is spring football. 
Okay. Um, two weeks in now, not two weeks, I guess. We're in the second week. Three practices in. West Virginia twice open to reporters for an hour. We've talked to the head coach, the coordinators, a couple of players, two assistant coaches. We've seen who looks tall, who looks bigger, who's new, what the transfer portal acquisition looks like. I can't say I know a whole lot more about this team than I did before, but that's not the point. We are also walled off now until the spring game. We might get more time in there, and if it is, I hope it's a little bit down. Or actually, I hope it's every day we get in there, but if it's going to be sometime, maybe one or two more times total, hopefully toward the end so we can see some progress because we got an eyeful for two days, and then, again, hard to tell anything. It really is, but I wonder if in two and three weeks from now, they open the gates to let us in and be like, oh my gosh, this looks better than it did before, but work in progress, pieces on the board, not in place. I think sometimes in the past, Chris, you can say, well, they don't know who's going to be here or here as a starter, but they know who's in the competition. They know who's in the running. I don't feel as certain about that right now. There are spots where they have people, but I don't know that those people are going to be there. I don't know if the answer at that position is necessarily on campus. They're still talking about using the transfer portal. Um, they have a lot of players. I'm not sure that means they're deep at spots, but if that's not an explanation and justification for 15 days of practice, I don't know what is, but. My initial response right now is kind of shoulder shrug. Let's see where it goes, but that's not necessarily reason to panic, but you don't have a whole lot of reason to be like, yeah, this is the way they turn it around either. And I'm looking at your, I'm looking at your reports from practice, looking at the pictures, looking at the videos that we're getting. And I mean, I got, I got lots of questions and you're, you're there seeing it. So I kind of want to throw some ideas, some thoughts off of you. Um, let's start on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I notice the starting five, quote unquote, offensive line, unofficial, all that, whatever disclaimers I need to put in here has been the same for both open practices so far from left to right. Milam, Rematch, Yates, Hubbard, Nestor. Now Yates is in there because Frazier is in a green jersey, but a lot of this is returning from last year. So maybe this is the most like the or the least muddied group um right now in spring football like do you think this is indicative of what's going to happen again not Yates at center I'm I'm assuming maybe the other four spots are kind of set and this Yates Hubbard thing is happening at right guard is that is that too big of an assumption right now yeah they're going to play Hubbard tackle guard they're going to play Yates at center guard obviously Yates is not going to be your your starting center that's going to be Zach Frazier but you want to get him reps inside and I think Rematch is here to stay. I don't think that Yates or Hubbard is bumping him out. So you got to play him in the middle. Center is more like guard than tackle is like guard. Very different, I understand, but it's not bad for him to get center reps in case something happens. But I would think that one of those two is your right guard. And right now, I mean, all the indications are it's going to be Hubbard until they start moving the pieces. I think you give this you give this a couple laps and see what happens with Nestor at right tackle and Hubbard at right guard and say, okay, He's definitely our right tackle. And maybe you say, hey, he's definitely our right guard. I think you're more likely to say, you're more likely to make a forward-moving decision based on Nesta right now than Hubbard. But then I wonder if they, okay, he is our right tackle. Well, who's the right guard? Is it is it limited to Hubbard and Yates? Does a big younger guy get in there? Don't know. And then if they're saying, I don't know that Nestor's our right tackle because we have our eye on this guy. I don't think the identity of this guy is Yates or Hubbard at that point, because you already know what you know about them to some extent. Um, so much so that you've moved Nestor outside. So I wonder if it's not these two, who is it going to be? It's going to be one of them. Nestor is going to be the guard or tackle. I wonder who the guard or tackle is next to him, because I just have a feeling that if they make a move, it's going to be to get somebody onto the field. And that may not be the permanent fixture. It might just be to get a look at that person. So, who then are the candidates to be the right guard or right tackle that are not named Hubbard and Yates? Because I, I do think that's why the spring exists. So you think there is still a possibility of Nestor playing inside this year in the fall? Yeah, that's not their intent, though, right? I mean, they did this last year. They liked it so much they started him. But that was because they had a lot of hope invested in Jordan White and he earned that too. Like he'd been a good player for a while. I'm not quite sure what happened there, but he's not here anymore. And circumstances moved Nestor back inside. 
if they can avoid the circumstances again and get somebody who, you know, just doesn't get hurt, again, that's not Yates' fault, or excuse me, that's not White's fault, but if they can just get somebody who can play right guard, Nestor's your right tackle. The fact they're doing it again, they already know what he can do at right tackle, right? So why do it unless you're going to do it? It just doesn't make sense. I think it's because they want to get a really good look at who right guard is. And then I would think that there's like the gate closes at some point, whereas if it's not at a certain bar, then maybe they do move Nestor back and have a look at somebody right tackle for it. could be a couple of days. It could be the back half of the spring. I don't know. But even then, you make your decision and say, okay, we're starting fall camp tomorrow. Nestor is once again our right tackle. I, I just think that you know what you have with him. He likes it outside more. And let's be honest, he talked to the coaches about coming back. Do you think right tackle was mentioned in those conversations? Probably, right? And the fact that Absolutely. he likes it, so, the fact that he likes it so much, that's a bit more of a moneymaker. I think at the next level, uh, I, I would think that that was an influential part of the conversation and not saying I got to do it. Or I'm not coming back, but listen, I want to have a chance or, Hey, we're thinking about moving you to right tackle. What do you think? I'm not saying this was a, a ploy by anybody, but certainly that's a variable that was involved in their conversations and it's happening right now. They liked it before. I'm sure they discussed it. And here they are at the first opportunity to get back on that path again. And he's a right tackle again. All right, moving over to some other positions, I think these might be pretty quick because I don't think there's going to be a clear answer one way or another. Um, quarterback just rotating, right? They're just Nico Green, Nico Green. Yeah, and one, honestly, Chris, one's right hand and one's left hand, and they both are running the same plays. The ball spins. They have I, I cannot take anything discernible about it. That they they look the same to me. Like I know they're not the same player. One has a strength, the other does not, and one has a shortcoming, the other does not. One's experience and one's just ball skill, I think. But from what we've seen, they both look like they're perfectly capable of running a West Virginia football practice. I can't tell you a whole lot more than that. And that's not a surprise either. No, I think there's a point. I can't remember if it was a discussion you and I were having or maybe it was something was doing for the uh, different video podcast for CBS or something, but it was something about, yeah, he kind of led me down this way of, yeah, quarterback's biggest storyline of the spring. I was like, it's not because my thought was, and you can, sounds like you agree, but you can tell me if you don't. The difference between Marchio and Green with this offense, either way, is going to be minimal. Like, you know, one's just definitively not better than the other or clearly the answer over the other. So the storyline is more or less the, the offense and what it's going to be and who's going to be in charge. Yeah, and I think it's going to come down to some things we haven't seen yet. Like, who's a little bit more secure in the pocket? Who's a little bit more stable when they're moving around when it comes to the ball? Like, and, and again, left-handed, right-handed, that's that's something you have to massage, I think, at some point. But you don't worry about that as far as, like, reps for your tackles or your receivers until you actually figure out if your guy's going to be left-handed. So that's that's June-July stuff. I'm not worried about that. I doubt they are right now either. But when it's this close, you really you kind of fine-tune things, which isn't bad. Because that's when you can really build a player up. I know what, like, hey, there's not much of a difference here, but look at his footwork versus yours. He's a little tighter here. You're a little looser here. Hey, look where he keeps the ball when he's running these read plays. Or look where his eyes are when he's reading the field before a snap. Stuff like that. And if you're doing that minutia, that's not bad. It makes everybody better at the the small stuff here. That's good. And then those small things you stack up, that can make a big difference. And if one's doing it faster, better, more emphatic than the other, or if the other's just trailing in that regard, that's a separation point. Running back, everybody's good. Everybody's going to play. Oh yeah, okay. I, I assume that, and it sounds like it based off of what you've written so far, and different guys working with first team, and everybody kind of getting reps. It all kind of makes sense, but yeah. So nothing, nothing out of the ordinary there. Let me put these in like two categories. You have you have Tony Mathis. You have I would say three categories. You have Tony Mathis, and you have Jalen Anderson, and Jalen Anderson has been use more in the receiving aspect than the Mathis. And it, this may just simply because Mathis is a veteran who's been through this and why give him more when you can give someone else stuff. And then Jaheim white and Justin Johnson, they're probably more like each other too. White's very slippery inside, man. Like he's, he's a guy who probably will be a guy who, who wants to stretch it outside like Justin Johnson, but he does get inside. We've seen a lot of inside run drills and he makes some moves inside that are good for him. Now, can you do that in games? Cause you might, try to sidestep, backstep inside and get popped. And if you get popped and swallowed by a defensive lineman once, you might never do that again. But it is kind of fun to see him dart around in small spaces. But those two are like each other, like Mathis Anderson, like each other. And then you've got Donaldson, who isn't doing a lot of contact or any contact, but he's out there. He's not wearing a green jersey. He's running routes. We have not seen a whole lot of experimentation where 
two were on the field doing exotic things. We've seen two on the field. Um, can't tell you the formation, Chris, but it was cool. And then you've seen stuff where like one is in the slot and he's motioning and taking a handoff. And it's not a receiver doing that. You just see like that jet sweep action to a receiver. Haven't seen that to a running back very often, but you can do that when you have these players. And who's getting those handoffs? Obviously, it's going to be your guys who are more threatening in a perimeter position. That would be your Whites, your Johnsons, and maybe even your Donaldsons. But so the two I mentioned, the two pairs I mentioned are kind of like each other. And then Donaldson's is kind of like this this wild card who's like those two, like these two, but also like a receiver or like a tight end. And he's out there getting reps and doing things, no contact. But for him to be out there running around where, I mean, people forget how beat up he was last year. And that, that injury was pretty serious. I think it's surprising he's out there and involved as much as he is right now. Uh, I think Haley sent me a picture of the formation you're talking about, and I had to wonder if I needed to just delete the file and the email or if I needed to burn my whole hard drive and go get Haley, confiscate Haley's computer. No, I believe the order is you actually have to like move to a foreign country, VPN, and then right from there. I'll apply for asylum somewhere and see if I can be all right. Um, Moving quickly, uh, receiver. It seems like nothing clear except maybe Devin Carter and Jeremiah Aaron are definitely involved. I mean, even all the way down to tight end, because again, I'm going off of uh, the you know first team stuff you put out, and then also just like group work. It sounds like you know the other receiver spots were moving around, tight ends were moving around. You had nine players, I think you wrote, that were in that tight end fullback group. Is there anything definitive that you're taking from those kind of two groups there? from what you've seen so far. Yeah, they're going to use tight end to supplement some of their issues. I shouldn't say issues, their numbers at receiver. Like, I think you're going to see just sets with two receivers, maybe one sometimes, depending on down and distance where they're on the field. But I think the fact that they they obviously like Cole Taylor and Traylon Davis, I think that I think they're just probably going to put the eggs in the Victor Wickstrom basket and see what happens and if he can do something there. And then I'm not saying this will be a three tight end formation, but like, you could play two a lot more if you have three. And then if not, I wonder like how much they can use a Luke Hamilton, who's kind of an interesting piece. I don't think he's here unless they have plans to use him again. How do you talk a guy from Towson to the FBS level without a scholarship? Uh, I mean, you probably got to give him some reason to believe he's going to be involved. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see what they do with him. And again, how they're using him, same personnel packages, they're aligning him differently. And I wrote about this. He's not attached to the line of scrimmage. Sometimes you'll see two tight ends attached or one attached and one off the line on the tight end's hip. Offset formations, attached line. I think everybody's familiar with that. Sometimes they'll have two tight ends in the field. One of them is Hamilton, and he's not on the line, but he's not attached to the hip either. He is maybe behind the line, kind of an H-back position there too, which is you can move that guy around. You can do things a lot easier before after the snap too like during the play he can move around and he's going to scoot quicker than somebody who's you know six seven two sixty so that's a piece you can deploy if you want to get your running game to some creative stuff so i think he'll fit into that i think he's here he's probably going to be an interesting part of what they planned for the, the offseason here too based on what they get out of the spring so if they don't have two slot receivers maybe they don't need two slot receivers maybe someone like taylor can be an adequate slot receiver maybe Someone like Davis is not a slot receiver, but he can block in the slot. So there are some things they can do there. Will it get there? Don't know. Seems like we talk about the tight end every year saying this is the year. They're going to weaponize this position. Doesn't happen. We'll see. But they have some players there, and they're going to get reps in practice. That's the number about nine. That's the eight or nine, whatever it is. That's interesting, is that they can devote a lot of time to the drills that require those players out there. And that's good for everybody around them, too. Receiver, I'll tell you what. Someone asked me a question. Hey, how does Deshaun Polk look? I have no idea. I'd never noticed him once out there the couple of days I was out there. So they're running a lot of people um, in receiver drills, and a lot of them are getting a lot of reps because they can't go. They can't do five reps and have two new players every time in positions. They can't. So got, a lot of guys are doubling up. And you notice people like Devin Carter outside a bunch because he makes plays. Like he's he's a guy that can run away from people a little bit because he uses his body to create space. Um, it's been hard not to notice Jeremiah Aaron. Um, I think they're probably going to try to look at him playing outside and if not be that vertical threat inside who can do some things. We've seen the slots, Sam James especially, used in like a, a position where you kind of run posts outside those slot fades. I wonder if it's going to be more 
middle vertical um, with, with a guy like Aaron, because I think last year there was a call to get him involved and get him be a player who can give you some pop on offense. But beyond those those obvious players, you, you just haven't seen a whole lot yet. But also they haven't gone live and stretched the field. So it's like who has good hands, who gets good coaching from coaches. And, and right now you don't see a lot of drops, whatever, but you're not seeing a lot of contested plays and um, a lot of work to be done there because it's not too long before you get guys like, Hudson Clement and CJ Cole out there who are nice practice players for you. I don't think you'll be seeing them in games and offense as much as on special teams in the future, but they're out there right now gobbling up a bunch of reps. So that'll be a position I'm, I'm certain that they try to use the recruiting class that's coming in for, you know, Traylon Ray, Rodney Gallagher, um, and then also probably a transfer portal guy too. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast old man winter here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex (laughs) heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived Spring Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, moving over to the defensive side. I'm going to, I don't want to say skip over the defensive line, but it is what it is. We kind of know the three guys that are playing a lot there right now. Um, and outside of that, a lot of injuries, a lot of guys limited or out for the spring at that spot as well so i kind of want to go to especially since we're running low on time linebacker looks like coba mike bartlett bandit we've seen that show before will linebacker is a a, question mark yeah i was gonna say i want to say concern question mark is maybe more positive but right now, the three names that I see being mentioned are a true freshman that arrived on campus a few weeks ago, a redshirt freshman that missed his entire first year on campus recovering from an ACL tear, and a, I don't even know, junior, senior in Favoris who, you know, I was kind of led to believe might be capped out as a special teams contributor. And those are your three guys at will right now. Uh, yeah concerned about that and the size too i wrote about this yesterday in my three things but like i wonder if they're tall long heavy enough to be who they want to be at that second level bartlett coba will and then the spear is probably going to be lance dixon unless lance dixon becomes your will again he can do that and if they move him into will which they can do that can be something that happens in the spring or in the fall that means that i mean raleigh collins is your spear 
That seems like a gamble right now. I don't know if that's going to work. I'm pretty sure X3 Low is a pro day today, so he's not available for any of that stuff for the first time in like a decade. So you can kind of tell they're they're trying to figure this out here too. I just that that's going to be an issue. I think they're going to have to figure out. They're going to have to have Dixon be really good at spear or somebody really good at spear that can move him over inside to to the the wheel position because I just, I just Ben Cotter may be a good player eventually, but I don't think that they want him playing a whole lot right now. And is, is he physically able? I know he made a ton of tackles, but is he physically able to play that position? Don't know. I'd have my questions right now for sure, but maybe in the fall it's different. Um, Favorus, I mean, that's a six-foot guy who was a defensive back, who's a cornerback when he came here. Maybe miscast, but ideally a safety, if not a corner. Now he's playing Will. Um, and then, you know, Trey Lathan is long, but that's a, a physically young guy because, again, you mentioned out last year, you can only do so much physically when you're rehabbing a knee injury. So while he looks good, how much weight can he gain and how much mass can he can his body withstand to play that position? Now, it's not a mic. It's not a spear. or It's not a mic. It's not a bandit. You don't have to be as as strong and as solid at the point of attack. You want some mobility. So you, want to be, you don't have to be too big. But like being under 200 pounds is not created that position. Being a true freshman isn't great at that position. Being a guy who hasn't played like hardly any defense in college football, um, that's Cutter, that's Lathan, that's Favorus. It's not ideal, Chris. They're gonna have to they have to really focus on that one and coach that position up or make some changes to make it work. Should there be concern that Bandit is the same, more or less? Yeah, I mean, they moved Braden Dudley there. That's a defensive mm-hmm. end type who just has been about 235, 245 his entire time here. Maybe he's just a guy who can't gain weight, but I wonder, does he have the pop to do that? We'll see. Um, is that a, a permanent thing? I'm not sure. And then Bartlett's just kind of there. Can he do it? And then James Hurd, they want to play, but they've also that, hey, he'll be our third down pass rush kind of guy. We'll find him away in the field. And then you got two other downs. You got to play with Bartlett, I guess. And I think we just kind of know what you have with Bartlett right now. So, um, I just wonder if the portal is an option here for somebody that is there and like, wait a minute, this will make a lot of sense. You know, spring football be darned. This is a game changer here too. Something else I'll keep an eye on too, Chris. Hershey McLaurin was was doing drills at Spear. Don't know where that goes, but and it might just be a thing like, hey, let's get him some work at his position because it's less uh, physically demanding than deep safety where he plays. He's in green, so he's not doing all the full participation. Maybe he was just squeezing some extra stuff, but I will keep an eye on that in the future. Um, speaking of safety and back there in the defensive backfield, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mike, but you seem, well, let's not say excited, but not wildly concerned about cornerback. It's I mean, you at least you, you pointed out in one of the practices about how Jalen Shelton is there, Wilson Lamp, new freshman Josiah Jackson. Um, those are all long guys that, that can disrupt some pass plays. And then on the other side, you got spells, you got Montre Miller and those aren't even, um, cause who is it? I mean, Malachi Ruffin, we, we know what he is and isn't at this point, but is that cornerback position serviceable? It, well, in that it has been in the past few years, it's not worse than last year. Right. Right. So They'll add to that too. There, there's some names out there now, but they'll add to that. Maybe like a starter level guy. Maybe maybe like a starter level guy because of the situation they'll be coming into, or maybe a starter level guy because of what he's done in the past. But if they get a mid major guy, you know, a group of five guy who started a bunch of games, is like I had a good spring. I want to go somewhere else. It's a good spot for him. I'm not sure you're going to get a guy to walk off the SEC or the Big Ten campus to come here and play, but he'd be able to play. So I think it's a good situation in the future, but. If you're starting off with, I mean, I'm not sure Malachi Ruffin will be a starter. So if you're starting Montre Miller and Jacoby Spells, that's that's not bad. That's, I mean, that's probably the plan, I would think, when you start putting together your class. Spells is a guy who can start a sophomore year, and we'll get a transfer portal guy. Ta-da, did it. Uh, Wilson Lamp is a project, but this is probably about the time that project starts to pay off for you. And then, you know, there's, there's other players there. Like Jalen Shelton, again, project is a time for him to pay off. I don't know, but like, it's a junior college player who comes in with time taking a little bit. Didn't play much last year. They've settled him in at cornerback. And he's big. Like, he's he's a different guy there, too. But I wonder if they can get three on the field. I'm not sure. You know, could that help him at Spear, for example? Could they help him at one of their safety spots? I'm not sure. But that nickel defense has become so prevalent that you kind of have to have three or you have to have a other defensive back, a safety who can play that. But how much can they get? 
a few guys heated up in the spring where they're they're more sure who or what they need out of the portal, where they just said, listen, we need a guy in the portal because it's going to be hard to find a guy. But if you feel good enough about, you know, for example, Wilson Lamp, Spells, and Miller, you don't have to aim as high, and you could you could be a little bit more detailed in a broader search at the same time. And that's kind of counterintuitive, but you can look for people who are definitely going to say yes to your overtures and want to come here. Yeah, I think the guy you need to keep an eye on, all you West Virginia fans, is Marquise Wilson yep. uh, from Penn State. He's a guy who got an offer two months ago, and he's been on the radar. But because of his uh, – it's not an academic situation. He's just not graduating until May, kind of like the JT Daniels thing. But, of course, you know, everybody was pushing for Daniels to get a commitment ASAP. With Wilson, there wasn't as big of a push to get an immediate commitment. It was kind of a, hey, we're interested – keep us in mind. And, you know, he's kind of been around and he came up and visited this past weekend for, to, to watch the spring practice. So as, as we're approaching the end of that spring semester in school and he's nearing his graduation from Penn state, it makes sense that, you know, you might get some news about that, about Wilson and West Virginia in the near future. And as you noted, he's kind of a, a fringe power five starter, you know, it's kind of been like that, that, third cornerback for the Nittany Lions over the last couple of years. He's, he's been on the field. He has experience. Um, so he is somebody that I would think has the talent to make contribution for WVU in 2023. Josiah Jackson's an interesting one too, just because of his pedigree. I think that they, they think highly of him as a guy who could, I don't think they would be surprised if he was in the field this year, but as we've seen, they've, they've had better recruits at corner who haven't played as true freshmen, but Nowadays, I mean, you kind of got to get guys in the field sooner or later. But again, big spring for him. But I, I just, I do think somewhere there's a portal solution out there, and that may be your guy too. Um, I guess we'll we'll skip special teams and the holder competition because Grayson will be back. He'll take over again. Grayson will be back. I think. Don't think we'll get an answer on the uh, what field goal kicking until later, or you think it's going to go to somebody? You already got a clear answer. No, do not give that time. Okay. Switching gears, Chris, back to the third gear we started in basketball. Uh, surprisingly eventful for a team that just lasted one game in the NCAA tournament, West Virginia, with a, I would say, a resonating headline here in the offseason by having, I would say, also top shelf transfer prospect Kerr Creesa, point guard from Arizona on campus as a legitimate target in the portal. Yeah, I kind of out of nowhere, too. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Jose Perez tweeted about it, and people got to talking about it. And I think on Sunday on our board, everybody's, hey, wait, where's the update? Where are the updates? Where are the updates? So many people are accustomed to these Friday to Sunday visits that happen, these official visits that start Friday and Sunday, updates come Sunday evening. This was not the case. He came on Saturday, and as we put on the board Sunday evening, and and you and I kind of followed up with each other later. That visit was still going. Um, it, it was still happening through Sunday night. I don't know if it's going into this morning, Monday morning, as we're recording this, but he seems to be a very legitimate target for West Virginia. And this is this could be like you know, a, a great kind of kicking off point for, for WVU for this basketball team and for next fall, because when we talked about it immediately after the end of the season, you and I did a podcast with our rapid reactions to the loss to Maryland, talked about what was going to happen with this team in the off season, talked about what the needs were in the transfer portal. The two biggest ones we said, a big man and a true point guard. Creesa finishes, uh, fills one of those roles. He is about as pure of a true point guard as you can get out of the transfer portal right now. Yeah. Experienced, um, not just in college, but he's played some international level ball and, and those, those guys typically have an edge too, but you're looking at a guy who played in a up, up tempo conference, up tempo team, Arizona, very fun, um, offensive team. That's a lot of back and forth basketball. He led the pac 12 in assists. Check. Take that. Also shot, I want to say 38% from three. He's he's going to be a big-time target, and he's 
at West Virginia right now. I think a lot of people believe that he is going to lean towards Xavier because of his affinity to Sean Miller, uh, recruited and coached Teresa before. But he's not there yet. Um, I believe he has a visit lined up for, I'm going to say, a Big Ten school here sometime soon. Um, I don't think it's a threat to West Virginia when you look at the comparisons of the roster and the situation these programs are in. Um, so that's advantageous for West Virginia. And then there's some there's some scheduling things that may hold off, like his ability to make a visit to Xavier, which could put West Virginia in a good spot. But the fact that he was here, um, I would say late in the last night, it sounded like, just talking to some people yesterday and this morning, that's a good sign for them too. And and is he, a, again, does he do a note-for-note note impression of Kedrian Johnson? No. But do you, are you trying to get Kedrian Johnson? So you probably want somebody who's not going to grow into the position over a couple of years. You want someone who's going to come in and make a splash right now. And if the the things that we just read off to you, the assist, the shooting, the competition history and in, in, in his background, that checks a lot of boxes for you too. And if West Virginia is changing the way it's putting the roster together with this lean into the portal, as are so many other programs, I think you probably also have to open your mind to the fact that they're changing the the profile of the player. This is not the type of point guard that West Virginia has had. It's not a combo guard who learns how to play point guard. Here's a guy who's run the show and just happens to be a pretty good shooter too. Mike, would you like to take a guess at what Arizona's record is with him as the starting point guard? Well, I know they only lost like 10 games last two years, right? So I'm going to say pretty good. Yeah. 61 and 11 over the last two seasons. Yeah. He is, he has played, he has started 65 of those played in 70 of those. So I guess take two of those games out, but, um, this is a team that not only wins, and obviously, I mean, hey, it's a team game. There are other people involved, and Arizona recruits very well. They have a lot of talent on those rosters. But he is the guy that makes it happen. He is their point guard. He is the one that dishes it out. He is the one that has been the starting point guard, one of the key players on a team that has gone 61-11 and 11 the last two years. And the starting point guard for the looking at it right now, Number six overall scoring offense in the country, in the country, at 81.9 points per game. Hmm. You think you, you think West Virginia could use that, Michael? Yeah, I just don't know why people would be like, this doesn't work. It's not a good fit. Like, I, I don't know. If you have four left-handed pitchers in your rotation and then the Cy Young Award winner or like a, a multi-time all-star comes in and he happens to be left-handed, do you like, now nah, we got enough lefties? Or no, we, we, we're looking for a righty. Like, Again, West Virginia has been bit, obviously, in the past by, let's get our five best players in the floor. Well, coach, two of them are 6'10", 250, right? That doesn't work quite well, right? Um, I get that. There's some, but this is not square peg, round hole. This is like a guy who puts the ball in the hole and can help people around him do the same thing. So I think you you fly close to the sun on this one, and if you can land the plane, you land the plane. If not, I mean, you kind of go back and you – you're gonna be able to get players here. I don't. I don't think you're spinning your wheels or wasting time by going after Kirk Crease. I think that's okay. Um, the 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 math now, Chris, is going to be interesting because out the door is Jalen King. Um, they they have two scholarships available in that. Josiah Davis will not be getting one of them because he's transferring here too. So King's opened up one that you thought was going to go to Davis will not go to Davis. So they have two. Chris, this that number is going to double. Triple before this is all said and done, correct? Yeah, I would think so. I think we we kind of pegged the number at another at, at least four people either transferring or electing not to do a sixth season um, or fifth season, whatever you know, for the seniors who had a decision to make. Um, and so far, we're only at two. So, yeah, I mean, at least double. We said at least four. We're at two. Add two more. Maybe three more. Uh, who knows? I mean, it. This is going to be the new norm, at least for a while. And if you're not doing it, then you're not doing what's in the best interest of your program. Like it, it, it sucks to say, but this is where it's at. And if you want to be competitive, to become competitive, or stay competitive, you have to be willing to 
add whatever pieces you feel will make your team better. Even if you look at your team and say, hey, this guy's pretty good, and I think he could play for us next year. If there is an option that is better in the transfer portal, you bring that option in from the transfer portal and you figure out the rest later. And based off what happened last year and based off what we're hearing and seeing so far this year, that is the stance that Bob Huggins and his staff are rightfully taking. Yeah, so if you hear me out of one side of my mouth saying that, hey, they had a good year, and then me saying that they're going to have to make more changes, they're both true. Like, I think, it, again, I've been over this. It, it's hard to miss the tournament and then get back to the tournament in this environment, and they did. They did not They did not buy stock in winning, was it 19 games, right? And see, uh, what, 19 to 14, is that right? Yeah. Um. They did not spot. They did not buy stock in the 22-23 season. That's how they got back in the game. And now you build on that and you go higher and further into the tournament. And that's what they're going to have to do, which means you're going to continue to shake things up. And, you know, can they get as good a group of players as they did this past year? I think they probably want to do better. But if they came away with those four, a similar quality of those four players, then that's okay. They can make that work. Question now is what happens with, you know, Toussaint and what happens with Mitchell. Uh, I don't. I mean, Mitchell got a waiver to be eligible last year. I think it'd be very hard for him to transfer. Will he go pro? Is that the best move for him? I, I think a lot of people expect him back. Toussaint, I, I've just been told not to put a lot of stock in what he said at the game. Probably wasn't ready to talk about it. And again, sometimes guys just have a, a, a fire social media graphic they want to drop when the time comes and say, I'm back. So maybe the locker room after a loss is not the, the time to put the spotlight on yourself and your decision when everybody is aching in the locker room. I would not. I've been told not to put a ton into that, like let the guy make his decision there. So that could be two pieces that come back, which means then you're looking at the collection of players who are on the roster and have eligibility left who are younger and have been here for longer and might not be here. You're looking at your your Kobe Johnsons, your Seth Wilsons. Um, you know, it, it may be hard. They may have to make a call on someone like Pat Forsythe. Excuse me, Pat Forsythe. Wow. Pat Sumnick. I, Bell I, may have to make up his Mike, mind. Oh, my God, man. Retro, right? I love it. I'm looking at my Pat Forsythe bobblehead in my office. That's why I got confused. Decisions have to be made about what they're going to do here and then if players want to be a part of it too because if you are here and you think that you've served your your apprenticeship and it's time for you to get the ball and go and you realize that your position is being recruited from the portal, I mean, you might realize you're going to be in the portal one day, one of these days, so why not now instead of later? Why go through this again to prove yourself only to be replaced or sought after the replacements again this time next year? Like, how many times will the goalposts move? How high can the Barbie go that you got to clear? And you might just want to go somewhere else and be the person who replaces somebody in a situation similar to yours. So I, I think you're going to see some movement here from a number of people. Will they get to four, five, six changes, that that may be the reality now. And then it's just how how wide does West Virginia go in their replacement? Because they're hitting the backcourt hard. They already have Omar Silverio. They're making a priority out of Creasa. There are other guards that I know that they're, they're attached to, but as we've covered before, they've talked to Graham Ike. They've talked to uh, Hughley from Pitt, um, Eddie Lampkin from TCU. They're, they're making a move in the post too, and that's where they have – an Okonkwo, a Wagi, and a Bell, too. So I, I think you're like, you see that there's luggage in the living room when you're wondering, is this because someone's moving out or moving in? It may be both. Well, um trying to think. I was trying to think of a good, is it going to be fixed joke, but I guess it's, it was on the way to being fixed, and this is just another step in the progress, right? Process, right? Yeah, this feels like you're restoring a car, Chris, you know. Mm -hmm. You got some like 1960 model Ford and you're like, all right, well, I got this done. Well, you know, I could do this. And like, you're constantly, you're just constantly tinkering with it because you're restoring it and you're trying to get it ready to run out on the street in your neighborhood. And then ultimately down like the, the four lane in your, in your town, then you want to take it out on the highway and go. And like, right now they're, they made their lap around the block and they're, now they're going out in the four lane and trying to see what happens, but they want to get in that left lane and blow by people again. And you, you need the, I don't know, you need the, the parts and the, you got to do the labor to make it work. So they're, that's where they're under the hood right now. They're trying to make this work. And I think looking at a guy like Creasa makes them say, wait, this doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense given who they have or what they've done in the past. Pass is not prologue here. They're they're trying to engineer this thing very differently. And this is a person who can make it go. And um, that's a player with connections too. Like I, I think if he comes, he's going to come with a plan or, or some people he can bring with him too, which is why that number of you know four, five, six players, that's what's so interesting here because – 
this is this is something that happens. Like these guys get to know each other in AAU or in different competitions, and wouldn't it be fun to play together? Well, you're in college, you don't have that opportunity until maybe your teammates in the pros, which is an extremely long, long shot. Now you can kind of put together like your your big threes and your dream teams or whatever you want to call it. But you know what I'm talking about. You can you can do that. You can put together a couple of your friends or guys you always wanted to play with. You can do that on college rosters now. I'm not saying it's the best idea, but I'm sure players think like that. And two or three guys may say, wouldn't it be fun to play together? Didn't get a chance to do it. We had a ball in AAU. Let's do it again. And that's kind of like the Eric Stevenson, Emmett Matthews story. But I think you can do bigger and better than that. And a guy like Creason may make something like that happen. Also, it might be... I don't want to say the new norm because that's kind of been happening for a while, but I think you can definitely see that, like you said, just with the transfer portal guys reuniting. So, yeah, look, go, go down the rabbit hole, find the connections for whoever West Virginia brings in first on the transfer portal and see where else it's going to happen. Yeah, and don't say that WV wouldn't do that because Perez said, hey, can we get Omar Silverio? He called Silverio and Silverio is committed as a transfer because they were friends and wanted to play together. They're, they're, they're Dominican natives. They're supposed to play together at um, Manhattan because they had a lot of fun playing in the neighborhood and playing in the international program and said, would be cool to play in college. They tried, didn't work. They tried again and it's going to work again in the fall. So they, they West Virginia has ideas that they'll listen to. And that's one of them. So something like that could happen. It sounds pie in the sky. I understand. It doesn't mean they're not going to reach for it and to give it a shot. And if it works, then you're rewarded for it. So Outside the box thinking, maybe, but you know, it, it can take you somewhere too. Well, Mike, do you think we've wrapped it up? We've we've covered all of spring football. We fixed all the transfer portal issues for West Virginia. Was that enough for one day? I think so. I think uh, the world's a better place now. That's what we're here for. Neil Brown news conference today, pro day in the afternoon. Coverage on the site. Chris, any pushing or promoting you want to do? No, uh, I was going to say, we're going to have coverage from all of that stuff. I'll have recruiting stories still churning out. I mean, um, still catching up with guys that we're visiting. Have those go up in the buzz on Sunday. Have full stories coming with the rest of those later in the week. And move forward from there. Check out the site. Check out the headlines. Check out the boards. Plenty happening. We'll have stories. We'll have posts about what we're seeing, what we're hearing at practice, through the grapevine, so on and so forth. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you next time. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.